Yeah, it was great. We now have a, we now have like a church, like a mascot. No, it's not really a mascot, a church game, cornhole, right? So Jason and, Jason and Fred are, are the Olympic gold medalists for cornhole, and uh, they are the reigning champions. Luke and I decided we are taking up a new profession of uh, sports announcing. I've actually heard rumors that NBC's thinking about picking us up for next Olympics, so... Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. We're pretty amazing announcers, let me tell you. It was pretty great. And uh, Sam, uh, Fred's son, he wins the most hardcore hiker award, climb to the top of the mountain or whatever. That was pretty cool. So, yeah, no bloodshed, you know, pretty uneventful um, kind of time. No, it was great. It was great, fun time. So uh, this morning, I want to, a little bit different uh, message this morning. Normally, uh, or in fact, we've been in a series called, most of you remember, Jesus MD. We've been talking about healing and how it's God's will to heal. We're going to just put a pause on that real quick because what the Lord's been doing, we're in a 21-day fast right now. Uh, kind of, you know, everyone's fasting different things and some people are doing kind of a Daniel fast. But we're seeking the Lord for an increase of his gospel with power in our lives and through us, right? That we would freely receive the full gospel with the power of God and all that God wants to do in our lives. But also, the Lord is calling us as a church to rise up and to give the gospel away uh, with the power of his spirit. And so he's increasing our faith. And of course, just like in the book of Acts chapter 4, how they cried out to the Lord and they said, Lord, fill us with your spirit, right? Give us boldness to preach your gospel and stretch forth your hand to perform signs and wonders. Stretch forth your hand to heal. Uh, that's what we're praying. We're praying Acts chapter 4. We're asking the Lord for more of his spirit, more of him, more of his power, more boldness to just love people and communicate and just walk across the room and get to know them and share Jesus with them, all right? So that's what the Lord's doing in us. And so I want to talk with you about that today. I want to talk to you about what the Lord has been giving us, very specific strategy for the fall, specifically that we're going to launch in the fall, but it's going to be a lifestyle that we're moving into. And so I just want to talk to you about, um, I mean, it's really what God's been speaking to us about all summer, gospel with power and just, it's the whole reason we're fasting. But I specifically sensed this morning that I would share with you what God is saying about that. And then I would interview a few people because I feel like the Lord, um, well, not, the Lord, he's good. I feel like we need some clarity. Lord, it's clear for him, but we need more clarity. So I think that uh, as, I, as, I, as I share with you and I interview some people, I think you'll enjoy that. But before we get into our specific time of what's going on in our church, I want to invite Becca Schaub up. Come on up. Come on up. Does it, I don't know if some of you remember Rebecca. She's a, uh, yeah, most people remember, uh, Life Pacific College grad, and she's doing something awesome right now. You've been doing a bunch of awesome stuff since, but uh, she's doing something called the Mobile Church. So tell us what you're doing real quick. Well, it's good to see some familiar faces and to worship with you again. Uh, there's just something about your faith here, and it's so just inspiring. And uh, I got to meet with Lisa McLaughlin this morning, and she was just telling me about what's going on here and what God's up to, and it's it's just very exciting. Um, so it's good to be with you this morning. Um, I, along with uh, three other friends, young leaders, um, are getting in a van and traveling from church to church for four months. Um, we will be staying in host homes and um, equipping, encouraging, and evangelizing with different churches across the nation uh, with the hope of learning, uh, seeing, experiencing what God's up to, um, and encouraging pastors and churches to keep doing what they're doing. 
Uh, so it's going to be a crazy adventure. Um, I have a couple of flyers. We have a website. You can follow along our journey. We'd love to share our stories with you so that you can be insur- encouraged by what God's doing in a church in Indiana. Uh, so please be praying for us as we, as we go. And um, yeah. Well, praise God. We're glad you're doing it. Awesome. Just doing what the Lord showed her. I think they're on Facebook, so you can follow that way too. But uh, ask, uh, ask Beck if you want any more information. All right. So turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. And as many of you know that uh, Acts chapter 19 is such an important passage of Scripture to us. It is uh, the story of Paul, the Apostle Paul's ministry in the city called Ephesus, right? The modern-day city of... Uh, or the, Ephesus is a, kind of a ruin. It's basically like a tourist city, you know, tourist destination, I mean, in the, in the nation of Turkey. My parents went there recently just to check it out. But back in the day, Ephesus was the major city of that region. It was kind of like the, the hub city in Asia Minor, in what's modern-day Turkey now. And the Apostle Paul, he would travel all over, uh, of course, all over the known world, over the Roman Empire, and he would plant churches. But he specifically went to these major cities where he would reach these cities, and then from these cities, uh, people would plant churches. And I just want to read to you a very important verse for us. We'll read verses 8 through 10. It says that he, Paul, went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from there and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Verse 10, this is the key verse, this is the result. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. What happened was Paul spent the afternoons discipling young believers, people who would come to Jesus, whether Jew or Gentile, and they would come to him. Many of them were probably business owners. Many of them probably lived in satellite towns. Um, if you remember the city of Laodicea in Revelation, or uh, if you remember the letter of Colossians, Colossae, Laodicea, some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about, another city called Heropolis, these cities were satellite towns just miles downriver from Ephesus, and Ephesus was the major religious political center of that region. Paul went into that center. People would come to Ephesus for religious reasons, for trade reasons, and he would witness to them. He'd share Jesus with them. They'd come to know the Lord, and he'd begin to disciple them. Many, many of these people, during the afternoon siesta, when everyone else is resting, they would come to hear the word of God and be discipled. It was countercultural. I mean, shouldn't we be taking a nap here? You know what I'm saying? Sunday afternoon, guys, shouldn't we be all sleeping? And yet they came and they were discipled. And the result of that discipleship was that the whole region heard the gospel. Not just the city of Ephesus. It says that the whole region of Asia heard the gospel. Every single one of those towns, they heard the gospel. All over that area, which is a pretty big area, heard the gospel. How did that happen in two years? Did Paul do it himself? No. We know from the letter of Colossians that actually a man named Epaphras planted the, Colossian, the church in Colossae. 
probably he was the one who planted the church in Heropolis as well, maybe even Laodicea. We have seven churches that Jesus writes letters to in the book of Revelation. Those are all churches that are probably came from Paul's ministry, but maybe not planted by him. Who planted those churches? People that Paul discipled. And what happens just a few verses later, you, 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 heard, you, you saw that, uh, that unusual miracles were being done through Paul's hands, right? Crazy stuff was happening. People were getting healed of, through handkerchiefs, you know? And uh, we like to say that if there's extraordinary miracles, there's got to be ordinary ones too, right? You know, you've got to start with the ordinary ones, you know, let's get people healed up. And these were extraordinary miracles, if you keep reading, there was this uh, kind of this power, what we might call a power encounter. Some people thought they could cast out a demon in the name of Jesus, but they weren't believers. And they got beat up, right? The seven sons of Siva, they got beat up by this demon-possessed man. And it freaked everyone out. Because in that culture, they thought that you could just use the names of other gods to manipulate other, or names of other spirits to manipulate other spirits. They thought Jesus was just one of many. Oh, yeah. Like, and even if he's higher, he's just one of many. But when they realized that they couldn't manipulate the name of Jesus, everyone got freaked out and they realized, dude, this Paul, he's the real deal. This Jesus is the real deal. Now that story doesn't really fit in our culture because in our culture, just, I don't, you know, we don't really think like that. But in that culture, it, makes, it made a lot of sense. And the result is there was this massive revival. Christians came burning their millions of dollars worth of uh, uh, magic scrolls. Basically, uh, you know, witchcraft, and all that kind of stuff. They just burned it. And there was a major transformation. Tons of people got saved who were not saved, but many of the believers who had already accepted Jesus, but were kind of like dabbling in the witchcraft still, going to the, uh, might have been going down to the temple prostitutes still. They renounced it all publicly, burned their amulets and their magic scrolls. Because in that culture, they were afraid of demons. They were afraid of these spirits. It was kind of like, yeah, I got Jesus, but... I don't know, you know, if I get sick, I still need this amulet. Oh, I've got Jesus, but you got to ward against the demons too. And so it was, it was all this Jesus and stuff. And we all know Jesus wants to be the only Lord, amen? And he's the only one we need. And that's why he is the healer, the savior, the king. He's all of it. And so they realized, dude, all we need is Jesus. They renounced that stuff. They gave their lives over to the Lord. And it says in Acts 19, it says that the word of the Lord prevailed. That just means kicked butt, all right? That, that literally, that's in the Greek, actually. No. Yeah, you just do your, like, do word study. No, it means the word of God won. Won that time. And what it means is that strongholds were broken. Political, economic, religious, spiritual strongholds in individuals' lives and in a region were broken. Lives were transformed so much that the economy of idolatry went down and they, had to, they rioted keep reading the story they were mad because and this is what happens right when righteousness comes into a city people who make money off of unrighteousness they either have to change professions or lose their money that's a good thing that's a good thing when in la the pornography industry will fall and they will either have to find a different job or lose that's a good thing because it means the liberation of people. It means the ending of wickedness. It means freedom. And the reality is, if you know how economy works, they can make other jobs. When righteousness comes in, it creates. Okay? So it's just only the narrow-minded people who just get mad and say, they stole my job. 
They took my job away. This righteousness thing, this Jesus coming and people getting saved thing has messed up my job. Well, that's because you were making money off of ripping people off or enslaving them or uh, uh, defiling them or et cetera, et cetera. That's the burning desire of our heart. There's actually prophecies all throughout Scripture that I won't go into today. But the Lord has used many prophecies in the Scripture, like His glory filling the earth, like the oceans fill the sea, or like Isaiah 61, where, where restored people become the storer of broken cities. And the Lord has used these promises to speak to us. And He's used Acts 19 to paint a picture in our spirit of what His vision for our church and our community is. So if you're a part of new community... And you're a part of the mission of New Community. You're a part of this, what we say, we're a family on mission. We're the new community of God gathered here in community, but we are devoted to Jesus, completely devoted to Jesus. And we're inviting people into that journey. And if you're a part of New Community, you know you're a part of that mission and you're a part of that vision. See, God takes Acts 19 and he says, this is what I want to do in Glendora, San Dimas, Laverne, throughout LA. He says, this is what I want to do. And of course, it's going to look a little bit different, yeah, than in Ephesus, because that was what God did in Ephesus. But what he's saying is, I'm the God who did that. It's my desire to bring revival. And what the Lord is showing us is that he wants us as a church, this is a simple version of our vision, right? Vision simply just means a picture of the future, right? It's what God sees. Amen? A vision is what God sees, and he wants us to see it like him. Yeah? That's a good place to say amen. amen. God sees it, yes? He's in the future already? So when he says it, it's reality, isn't it? And he wants us to see it like he sees it. Amen? The problem isn't God, yeah? The problem is us. The problem is getting his promises lodged into our hearts so that we believe this is what God wants to do. That's why we preach about healing, because it's kind of hard for Westerners to believe that God actually promised it, and his word has power to perform what he said. So shall my word be that goes forth through my mouth, right? It shall not return to me void. God has promised these things in the word of God. So he's taken Acts 19, and he's painted this picture on our, in our spirits. We don't walk by sight, do we? We walk by faith. What is faith? Faith is, I heard God say something. I heard it. And his word painted a picture in my spirit. I see it. And I want you to know, see, I see it. I see Acts 19. I see a city saturated with churches, just like the Ephesus region. You got Ephesus. You've got Colossae. You've got Heropolis. You've got Laodicea. That's how things were back in those days. But how are things in these days? You got a city with like 40,000 people and neighborhoods backed up against one another. Yes? Neighborhood after neighborhood after neighborhood after neighborhood after neighborhood after neighborhood after neighborhood. City after city after city after city after city. Yes? Everyone drive on, everyone, anyone drive on the, uh, the freeway in LA? You go to Oregon, doesn't quite look like that. Right? You might actually go from town and there might be land in between a town. But not here, Yes? So what, do, I know, James, James, yeah, we'll take you up there sometime. There's actually like grass, not just concrete. Yeah. And so, I'm just messing. And so what would it look like in Los Angeles to see what happened in Ephesus? It says that everyone heard the gospel. 
Everyone heard the gospel. What would it look like? You know, how did it happen in Ephesus and in the surrounding area? It happened through church planting. Church planting is unarguably the greatest way to uh, reach people for Jesus. A community of people planted in an area together, shining Jesus' love, shining that light, sharing the message with the power of the Spirit. The church... The little gathering of believers, broken yet redeemed, spirit-filled yet stumbling along, little, seems like we're not all that influential. The church is the hope of the world. We are salt. We are light. Amen? I'm telling you, it's the church in, in, in areas like Mozambique, Korea a hundred years ago transforms culture, transforms society, transforms families. What would it look like in our area for that to happen? It's not just about other countries. It's about our country. Everyone here knows that there are people who don't know Jesus all around us. Everyone here knows the brokenness, the fatherlessness, the drug addiction that's all around us. Anyone who's been graduated from high school like John, for just a year, knows the brokenness, yeah? Knows the brokenness that's in high school because of the brokenness that's in homes, yeah? What would it look like to saturate this area and saturate Los Angeles with the gospel through planting churches? That's, to me, the wood, and when God brings the fire, that's the revival we're longing for. See, I believe that discipleship and church planting really are the preparation or the wood to bring revival. That my job by the Lord is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to equip you, to empower you, for us to be a family. Yes, the new family of God. Amen? The new family of God that's been redeemed. We belong to Jesus We've been adopted by the Father, and because we all have the same Father, we are brothers and sisters. Amen? We have the same Father, and we are literally brothers and sisters by what? Blood. The blood of the new and everlasting covenant. We belong to one another. And so we believe that we're family. And what does that look like? It looks like walking in unity, loving one another. Like I said earlier, it looks like connecting to Father God individually. So we each run to Daddy God. And we're not trying to fight for his attention, but we can all have his attention all at once. That's corporate worship. Corporate worship, when every single individual is connecting with Father, heart of God, and yet corporately, we're all on his lap, right? A family, the new family of God, being salt and light in, in this area, and yet a family that's on mission, a family that's not ingrown, See, it's so interesting. You have churches that are all about like, let's reach out and let's do stuff and they don't have connection with one another. And then you have churches that are all about family and let's hang out together and have fellowship, quote unquote. And yet, they've forgotten that there are lost people all around them. Why do those things have to be two opposite things? They're only opposite in our natural mind. They're only opposite in a broken Western culture, but they're not opposite in the kingdom. Amen? 
We were created, we were called to receive from Jesus and to give what Jesus gave us away, or gave us so we could give it away. We were called to be his church, the family of God, partnering with Jesus to transform this world. And the church is the hope of the world. And so what the Lord has painted this picture in our hearts is that we would multiply disciples, an army of people, who know Jesus and who are becoming like Jesus, who are parting with Jesus, but an army of people who are connected to Jesus and connected to one another, right? a community of disciples, but also to raise up in that community people, not just leaders who would plant churches or start life groups. Because when I say church, it may not look like the traditional church you're thinking of in your, when I first say the word church. I, mostly we should figure that out around here because we're meeting in a school auditorium, right? The church is people, not a, not a location. But when I say church, it may not look like a traditional, what we would think of as a church, but more of a biblical church, like a small gathering of believers in a neighborhood. And when I, think, when I say saturate this area with churches, you might think, wait, don't we have too many? We don't have enough. We do not have enough churches. Oh, but that really big one down the street. Yeah, praise God for that really big one. Thank you, Lord. But guess what? That really big one cannot... Even five really big churches cannot keep up with population growth, cannot reach neighborhoods, guaranteed. They've already done the statistics. They've already done the studies. Now, praise God, we can be a big church, but a big church has to multiply and send out as well. It could look like lots of life groups in lots of neighborhoods. Right? We're not Ephesus. Oh, let's send, a, let's send somebody out to Timbuktu. Praise God, that's good. Let's plant a church there. But what about this area? What about the fact that there's neighborhood after neighborhood after neighborhood, city after city after city, and there's child after child after child who doesn't know the gospel, and school after school after school where the gospel is not being preached? And what if in every school, in every neighborhood, in every city, there were churches, even if they were little? What does that take? It takes raising up leaders who would want to go for it, but it takes a whole church who would say, I'll be on a team like that. What does that mean? It just means being a family on mission, a family, just gathering in a life group, gathering in a little church every week or regularly, and then saying, let's do something to change this neighborhood. Let's do something to reach people. Amen? Family on mission. So this picture has been in my spirit for years, literally years, probably since I was, oh, 18 or 19 when I got saved. I got saved about 16 or 17, right? As a new believer, crying out to the Lord, reading his word, and he's painting these pictures in my spirit. And uh, I didn't know what it would look like, though. You know? And that's true of all young believers, right? We're fervent, but don't have maturity, yeah? But as you grow in the Lord, and as I have, praise God, like honestly, I've been the pastor of the church five years. Isn't that awesome? As I've been pastor of this church five years, it takes time to build culture. It takes time to build what God is saying and doing. You know, as I've talked to a number of pastors who are like me, young pastors who are just either took an existing church or planted a church, especially those who have taken an existing church, or I've talked to mentors, they all say, yeah, yeah, it takes time to build that. It takes time to build some of that foundation, cast that vision, build that culture up. But I tell you, the Lord has been showing us what this looks like more clearly. The Lord has been painting this picture in our spirit. The Lord is building, building up our faith. The Lord has been convincing us. This is what we're, who we are. This is what we're called to do. And we want to be faithful, right? Faithful in the little. 
so we can be faithful in the much. The Lord has been speaking to us and showing us clearly what this looks like. And he's given us three things specifically to focus on in terms of outreach or in terms of this movement outward that is family on mission. And in fact, we'll talk more about this dynamic of family on mission probably in the fall. We'll actually talk about what does it look like to be a family. And we'll just keep cultivating that. looks like going on camping trips, I'm pretty sure. And, um, and then also, what, but what does this mission look like? And so three things. Number one is the Lord has shown us that we need to equip every person in this church to reach their two or three people in their life that don't know the Lord. Every one of us that, where there's people in our lives who, who don't know Jesus. You know, maybe they're a prodigal far from God or they just don't know the Lord. Two or three people that we would pray for by name. Amen? By name. We'd say, Lord, by name, I'm asking for this person, and we're asking for them to come to Jesus, have their hearts open to the Lord, and return to him. And we, we as a church, we're determined that we would equip you to simply do that, to pray for them by name, and to move towards building those relationships, starting those conversations where you could lead them to the Lord. There's really no greater joy than being a part of bringing a person to Jesus. Making babies is fun. That was pretty funny, right? Any, anyone who's ever been, anyone who's ever been in the room when a child is born, let's move from conception to birth now quickly. <laughs> anyone who's ever been in a room when a child is born, dude, it's miraculous. I don't know how anybody could not believe in the creator God. It's, cr- it's like, whoa, right? I've seen all my children born and, and been there and looked in their eyes in their eyes and spoke to them the moment they were born. And um, I was there at the conception part too. So I was just messing. <laughs> that was just to make everyone feel awkward. Mostly my wife. Uh, she hates it when I do stuff like that. As every wife feels bad for her right now. I'm telling you, there's something so miraculous when you get to be a part of leading someone to the Lord, literally ushering them out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Number two, last year when the Lord spoke to me about 2012, he said that 2012 was going to be a year of gospel with power. He said that we were going to rise up into this. And at that same time, he spoke to me and said, life groups doing outreach. And so since then, I've been praying about it, and recently we've been really crafting this. But in this next season, we're going to call our life groups, our leaders, to lead their groups, to step out as a group to do an outreach probably monthly, maybe every four, four to six weeks, you know, maybe on week five. And that as a group, move out as a family on mission and to do an outreach together. And we're going to talk to life group leaders about that and we're gonna, we know it's not just an invitation to life group leaders. You know, it's an invitation and a call and a challenge to those who are in life groups. But we're going to empower. We're going to be patient. You know, we're not a church that's like a dictate. We're just not a dictator bunch around here, you know. And, uh, but we're going to empower because we believe strongly that if, if a Christian is to be a disciple and to make disciples, it's really that simple, Amen. Love God, love people, all that fun stuff. It should look like that in our life groups. 
I'm not really sure why we gather in groups during the week and the groups are modeled around an ingrown concept. Ooh, that was kind of harsh, huh? I don't mean to be harsh. What I mean is we create groups that are not family on mission, that are not really healthy because they don't reproduce themselves. And so we've got to create a way, and the Lord is challenging us to move outward. It could just simply be barbecues in a neighborhood. It could be uh, helping with the food ministry on Monday nights, things like that. But number three, the Lord has spoken to us. So number one, just everybody doing, reaching their two and three, and we're going to equip you to do that, and we're going to do that together. Number two, just life groups moving out together into the community. Number three is the Lord has shown us just to do one thing, to do one thing, and that is to just adopt one neighborhood. We're going to call it an adopt-a-block outreach, to adopt one neighborhood. Now, the way the Lord spoke to me, this isn't like our catchphrase, but to do for one neighborhood what we want to do for the whole community. We want to reach the whole neighborhoods. We want to reach all neighborhoods. We want to bless the city. We want to reach everyone. The Lord just said one, right? One neighborhood. So can you imagine? You take one neighborhood and you adopt that neighborhood. You focus on that neighborhood. Plan a church there, life group. Multiply to two neighborhoods, four neighborhoods. Plan a church, neighborhood, church, neighborhood, church, neighborhood, church. It's a way to be faithful in the little that we would be faithful in much. The Lord is showing us that if we're going to multiply disciples in churches, just take one neighborhood, reach that neighborhood, plant a church there. And so that's what we're doing. The Lord is calling us just one neighborhood has life groups, each life group going into their neighborhood or taking an outreach together and as individuals reaching our sphere. Those three things. And we're going to push into that this fall. Uh, but it's going to transform the culture of our church so that that is our lifestyle. Amen? Sam, come on up. Where's Sam Harbor? Let's interview a few people here. So Sam is our outreach coordinator. What I just described, those three things, that's what he's supposed to do for you. All right. So um, just share your passion, man. Hi, guys. I love you guys. You guys are like my family. Oh, you really are my family. Uh, my immediate family lives farther away, so you guys really fill that spot for me, and I appreciate it. Um, okay. Um, well, I love just hearing you talk about revival because that's been on my heart for years and years. It's just something that God planted in my heart because I read tons of books about great Christian leaders, and they just... Revival follows them, and, and cities are transformed. It's, I mean, it's, it's real what God does in a city when, when people move out and are, are moved by God and have compassion on people. And, um, and that's, I was thinking about, you know, uh, what to say. And, and um, I thought of um, where Jesus says, your kingdom come. We're supposed to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and God wants his will to be done like it's done in heaven. God wants heaven, earth, to, to be like heaven. That's how he originally created it. And so, so that's, that's a picture of revival, is that, is that the city could look like heaven in a way. And, that, and that's God's, God's ultimate goal um, when his, his total authority is on earth, is, is, when, is when the earth looks like heaven. 
And so and this is revival, and that's why it's on my heart is because it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's like when Dave was talking about, um, like, someone's sin and sinful industries and, and, and horrible things are, are crushed because, because God is good and he's faithful. Um, and, and, and people who are poor are lifted out of poverty. All this stuff, it's beautiful, and, and it's on God's heart, and he's putting it on our heart. Um, <clears throat> so in, in, uh, as we're working on these things and, and just, um, just, just thinking about outreach, God put on my heart, and it had never really been on my heart in this way, but just a vision of, of, of blessing people, that, that blessing people is, is central to, to the heart of God. And, um, and, 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 and what is, like, the biggest blessing that all of us have in our lives is being in a relationship with God. He's, he's our ultimate blessing. He's the best friend, the best father we could ever have. He's there for us. And, and so our relationship with God is, is, is blessing to us. And, 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 that is, and that is the, the ultimate vision for, for evangelism, at least maybe, I don't know if I should say ultimate, but to, to, to bring people into relation, to a relationship with God because it's the best thing for their lives. Uh, it's the best thing for their lives to be in relationship with, with their father who loves them, who wants to provide for their needs and wants to care for them. So, so this is this is this is our vision for evangelism. This is why we want to tell people about Jesus. We're not just trying to fill a church or get our couple converts. We want people to know Father God because He loves and cares about them. We want their lives to be transformed, like our lives have been transformed by God. And so, so that's why we want. Uh, people to be to be in relationship with God. It's it's a blessing to their lives. So so as we're just so so blessing is really central to this all. And our strategy for for blessing is ultimately we that's how we want to bless people. We want to bless people by introducing them into a relationship with God. But to get there, we want to bless them in every other way. And and that and that's part of what Adopt a Block's about. We we want to we want to go and we're going to knock on people's stores and be like, what do you, do you need anything? Can we wash your car? Can we mow your lawn? Like, anything we can do to bless people, we just want to bless them. And regardless of, you know, whether they want to accept Christ or not, you know, ultimately, we, our, our heart is to bless the city, and, and we were created to be a blessing. Uh, there's a, it's in Proverbs, Dave actually showed me this, um, Proverbs eleven eleven says, through the, um, through the blessing of the upright um, a city is exalted, and we want, we want, we want Glendora, San Dimas. Uh, I live in Azusa. Like these cities, there are cities. They're the cities God put us in, and we want them to be exalted. We want um, broken families to be to be restored. We want marriages to be restored. We want we want wholeness all throughout. Like, we want people to look at our cities and be like, wow, like like they're changing. Um, God's doing powerful things in those cities. So. <clears throat> So God wants us to be a blessing to our cities. And um, I was thinking of uh, when God calls Abraham in Genesis 12, he, his, his, I guess, prophecy or what he declares over Abraham is that he's going to be a blessing and that people that, that who bless him, like he's going to bless those people. And ultimately the whole entire world will be blessed through Abraham. And so it's God's heart to bless and, and that is going to be our church's heart, is to bless this city. And 
I really, I'm excited about it because it's just like blessing people is kind of fun, you know, when you have, you know, when you have something like giving is better than receiving. Um, it's, it's exciting to me to bless people. And, and I think that, and that's going to, and that's, that's starting to be, and I know it's, it's, it's in a lot of our hearts to bless people. So, so our, so our strategy is first to go and just bless people for just to bless them. And then the next, the next way we're going to bless people is by being in a relationship with them. Like we've all been changed by God, like for the better inside. We're, we've all got a certain amount of health in our lives because God like works on us. You know, he's like, Sam, you know, you're like prideful. You got to like work on that, you know? And so God's pulling bad stuff out of our lives and we're ultimately healthier because God is in our lives. And if you're in a relationship with someone, anyone, they're blessed because, because God is in your life and you're a blessing to them. Even if you didn't preach about Jesus, they'd be blessed by being in a relationship with you. And so that's what we want. We want, we want to, we're going to go into neighborhoods and we're going to not only bless them physically, meet, try to meet as many needs as, as people have, but also we want to be there to build relationships, to be like, I'm your friend. Like, I'm there, I want to be there for you. And so building relationships with people and, and, and you know, not just having our own, you know, like I have great relationships with you guys, um, but having relationships with people that don't know Christ because they need relationships with us. And, and God wants to reach them through us. And so ultimately, and it's through those relationships that, that we'll have opportunities to tell people about Jesus. I've worked at lots of different jobs, and, and it's always exciting to me to be able to have a spiritual conversation with different people that are there. It's, it's an exciting thing. And so I just, um, yeah, I mean, we will all have those opportunities as we're just building relationships with people, loving them blessing them and that's really our goal is to is to bring the ultimate blessing to people we'll bless them physically we'll bless them by being in a relationship with them we'll bless them by introducing them to god and they'll have great relationship with god and so um yeah we're just we just want to equip you to be able to do that and and yeah so that's really and you're gonna give them a t-shirt so for so for uh, okay you want to you want to go there <laughs> well f- well for our adopter blocks we're going to be um we ha- we have some t-shirts we printed out for you that so that people know that that we're from new community and so that glory goes to God that of what we're doing it's going to say new community on the back have a little logo here and uh as we walk away there's going to be a a motto here and it says that we're going to bless the hell out of this city <laughs> so uh, there you go. Thank you, Sam. So that is our, there it is, there's our evangelism motto. We're going to bless the hell out of this city. So uh, Jesse, come on up, and, and uh, I, wanna, I want Jesse to share. Uh, some of you know uh, Jesse, and she's, uh, she's led us in worship a number of times. Jesse, I just want you to share your heart about reaching those in our sphere of influence. And Jesse's really lived this out, and I uh, want you to just share that with us. I have my paper to help me. Dave, as you were talking, you used specifically the words discipleship and church planting. And I've been hearing those, li- those words since I was probably in the womb uh, from my dad and, and my mom. And, and really, my heart had been towards the nations for ever since I was little. I grew up in the nations. And then, uh, then I met my wonderful husband and started having babies and I went through a major identity crisis of how in the world, in this world, do I live this out? 
how do I live out discipleship and church planting? Because I know how to do it overseas. I know what it is to make disciples and to, uh, to preach the gospel freely walking on the streets of Thailand or in Taiwan. I still have two very dear disciples that I talk with on Skype regularly. And, but then I got pregnant and I stopped leading worship and I was at home and I was no longer going overseas and I started wrestling. It probably took me at least, I would say two years of me just struggling with what does this look like now that I'm at home and my world has gotten so small and and I just started asking those questions. Okay, discipleship and church planting, the call hasn't changed, but my life has. And so what does this really look like? And I just put it before the Lord, and he showed me Coons Park in Laverne. And it didn't necessarily happen because he just spoke it. It just happened. But it just happened very organically. I live about three blocks from a park and started taking my son there because I wanted to get out of the house. And would come up and as I was walking up so many times the Lord would just point at someone talk to that woman right there and I would walk up and we'd start a conversation and now some of my closest friends are all people from Coons Park and I walk down the streets in at our farmer's market and I constantly say oh there's one of my park friends and these have become women that I share my life with and I've begun to see transformation in their lives. Uh, Syra was one that I met at the park, and it was too hot. So I said, why don't you just come to my house, and we'll, we'll play, let the kids play in the back. We got there. She started crying and started sh- saying, I, I never do this. I don't know why. I'm just crying and telling you all my problems. And I said, you know what? It's something called the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and we just started talking freely about Jesus. I was able to pray with her. We actually reviewed the gospel and I just, I've been text messaging her and calling her and, and, and she said, you know what I would really like is just a small group that we could just get together and hang out. I was like, wow, someone's asking me to do a life group. And, and it has, it's just been a transformative relationship. And I have several other people that within my sphere. So I have my people from the park. I have my neighbor who also at the farmer's market one night just said, you know what? I have this major issue. And when, when this person comes that I'm having an issue with, I'm just going to send them across the street to you. Is that okay? I'm like, okay, well, if I can call a few other people and we can pray with them, then yes, we can do this. So again, it was just her knowing that's a safe place. And I, I was shocked. I walked up to Jen afterwards and went, I just had a God moment. I just can't, what do I do with this? And again, it was my sphere of influence where my world has felt small, but I have never had so many relationships than right now as when I'm at home being a mom with my wonderful kids. And, and then our family too. This has been a time where the Lord has brought our um uh, the Marins closer together. And, and so the Greg's sisters and, and other people, other family members, we have just started, I've started writing letters to them. And even though they live in close proximity, it's just a good way for me to communicate on paper who the Lord is. And it's just been such a um, moving experience for me. And we felt as Dave was preaching a few weeks ago, 
the Lord just spoke to us, it's time to, sm- to start a small group, to start a life group where we can have our kids right with us. And we can have our, our families, right, Daniel? We can have our families together, eating together. All we're, all we're planning to do is eat together, to have a time where we can say, does anyone have anything we, need, we can pray for this week? And then we probably we're going to have a passage of scripture that we can share together. And that's going to be our life group. And these are the people that we're going to gather and invite together. So if you want to be on that team of, um, it's going to be, our, our focus is inviting people that, that don't have a church to come and have that be a church. So we want to be one of the first church plants uh, just in our, in our home. And so we're, um, it's so neat to see how big my world has become as I'm at home and with my family. So I think I covered it all. Amen. Thank you, Jesse. Praise God. I didn't know you were going to mention the life group thing. That's good. (laughs) All right. But it's that simple. It's that simple, but it comes out of a conscious wrestling, doesn't it? She really sought the Lord. She really had to make some shifting in her life, but it's really that simple. Luke, share with us about how we're going to reach a neighborhood. Almost everyone I've mentioned about Adopt-A-Block, even when we say we're going to bless the hell out of that neighborhood... Uh, just joking. They, uh, they're like, what does that really look like? Well, Luke, tell us what it looks like. Oh, you look good with the unshaven. The, uh, this campfire smells actually not a new cologne. It's just, you know, here you go. Uh, this shirt didn't come with me. This was supposed to be an interview. You're supposed to ask questions. I just was supposed to just tell a story. But, um, all right, so I'm going to take a two-and-a-half-hour conversation I had with Sam and drop it down into about three minutes. Um, and I was, trying, I was praying about, you know, uh, what story to tell for this, and uh, I, I could talk forever about people that Mari and I had a chance to minister to during this, but there's one person in particular that, that kept coming to my mind while I was uh, showering off the campfire this morning. Uh, we got the chance to do this when Mari and I were at, uh, at another church, and we were going into a neighborhood. We were specifically targeting the kids, though. I say targeting, like, you know. But no, we were looking for the kids, but through working with the kids, you get to work with the adults uh, because they want to know who these strange people are coming into their neighborhood and what you're doing. And, uh, and so we got a chance to do that. And we also, Mari and I had the great opportunity to live in this neighborhood for about six months uh, while we were doing that, and that was really special. And so uh, I'm going to tell you about this guy that we met named Joe. And Joe uh, is the closest person. Uh, he's a scary dude. The first time I encountered, our, mine and Joe's first encounters were not pleasant, at least from my perspective, because Joe is more intimidating than like, imagine if Gary Edmonds was standing there just with his arms crossed, staring at you in his sunglasses, and you had no idea who he was. You'd be a little nervous. And Joe is even scarier than Gary. And so, I mean, that's, that's you know, saying something. Anyway, and so... <laughs> So we're out, we're out hanging out with the kids on this Saturday, and, and Joe's son is little Joe and looks, I mean, like a shrunken version of him, kind of like John, David, and Dave. And, uh, and so, so Joe, Joe, little Joe's talking to Big Joe, and Big Joe is just standing there staring at me. I'm like, oh, this dude has got my number right now. Like he is, and he was like looking me up and down, trying to be all intimidating, and it was working. And, uh, and so, so I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go over there, you know. Then I just kind of, you know... I'm, I was all uh, I was all confident on the outside, and so so I was like, "Hey, man, my name's Luke." And he's like, "What's up? What are you guys doing here?" I was like, "Oh, man, we're just here to you know hang out with the kids and play around." He's like, "No, that's not why you're here." 
You're here to take him to church. You're here to give him some, you know, some crap. And I'm going to censor everything Joe said to me. But um, uh, and he was just like, you know, you're not here for my kids not going with you, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, hey, man, well, that's cool. God bless you, whatever. Just kind of walked away, you know, trying to like, hide the shakes. And, uh, and so that began a string of run-ins with me and Joe that slowly got like less scary each time. Uh, because the thing is that when you keep showing up, they start to realize that you're not there just for a gimmick. Like the people that show up once a Sunday, uh, every six months, you don't really gain a lot of trust in a neighborhood. And so when you show up on time every Sunday or Saturday, whatever day we decide to do this thing, uh, when you show up on time and you show up when you say you're going to show up, you've already done more than most people have ever done for these people. And, uh, and so we started doing that, and we kept doing that. And so Joe would drive by and, like, not try to hit us with his van. Or, or he would, he never really did that. That was a joke. Um, sometimes I thought, though, it was going to happen. You know, you kind of see his van coming, you're like, I'm going to get out of the road. Um, so then it, uh, so then when Mari and I got a chance, when we moved in, <laughs> Joe came over, and all the kids were helping us move in, and Joe came over and was like, guys moving in? Like, yeah, yeah, moving in, man. I, I, you know, I was like, we'll be neighbors, bro. Like, I'll be able to see you from across the hall. He was like, that's cool. And he just walked away. I was like, all right, yeah, I'm getting to him, breaking him down. And, uh, and so he would be out on his balcony, like, every, every day, you know, leaning over it. And I'd take the trash out. And so I was like, what's up, Joe? And I'd get, you know, like, a, you know, I started with a nod and then a wave and then a hey. And, and it, it kind of it moved uh, through that. And, uh, and one day, uh, I took the trash out and said, you know, what's up, Joe? And he goes, hey, come here. I want to ask you something. I was like, okay. I went over there, and, and, uh, and he said he was moving. And we'd, we'd had a chance to, to talk, you know, in between. He didn't hate us anymore. He actually, like, thought we were okay. I, I, I assumed he thought we were okay just because he wasn't trying to. Uh, in fact, one time, sorry, I'm going to deviate for a second. But one time, we were building some really great rapport, and he wouldn't let his son come to church with us because he's got some, uh, some Native American in him, and he's that way, and his wife was Catholic. And she wanted him to come, but he didn't. And, and so one day, Joe shows up to the bus. Little Joe shows up to the bus to go, and I was like, did your dad say you can go? And he's like, no, my mom said I could go. And I was like, I'm going to go talk to your mom. And so I knocked on the door and I said, hey, can he go? And she goes, oh, yeah, Joe's out of town. And I was like, hold on just a minute. Joe and I are getting along, and I don't want to ruin that by taking him along with us. So is it your fault or my fault if somebody gets in trouble? She's like, oh, no, I'll take all the heat for it. And I was like, okay, just don't tell him I asked and knew all about this. Um, but anyway, so that was fun. Joe, little Joe got to come once. But so they were going to move. And, uh, and so Joe was telling me all about some of his spiritual experiences that he'd had before. Um, and, and he, uh, he stopped and, and he said, uh, you know, when you guys, when you guys first moved in, I didn't like you very much. I was like, no kidding. Um, <laughs> I couldn't tell with the scariness. Um, and, uh, you know, he goes, I didn't like you guys. I didn't trust you. I didn't think you were, uh, you know, you were here for any good. Uh, but, but you and your wife and the people that come in here, you guys are good people. And, uh, and he goes, uh. He goes, you know, there used to be this cloud of darkness over this, this community. And trust me, if, if someone could all see cloud of darkness, Joe could see the cloud of darkness. I mean, it was just, he had, he had a way about him, man. This dude was attuned to the spiritual realm. No matter what side he was on, he knew what was going on. And, uh, and he said there was a cloud of darkness over this neighborhood until you guys came in. And uh, it was awesome. I was just, I mean, from a guy like that. You know, to hear that was just amazing. And Joe and his family went off and moved to the desert to kind of start fresh. And I really pray for those guys. I mean, all the time. I think about them all the time. And and if you this this I mean this 
this outreach and this kind of ministry will change not only you all, but it will change the neighborhood that we're going to. And uh, I mean, keep praying for that neighborhood because I think we're all still praying for it too, right, Sam? Yeah, okay. And uh, but I mean, it really, it really can. And that's one of, I mean, literally dozens and dozens of stories that I could tell you. Um, so if you got a couple hours, we can talk about some more if you're really interested uh, in what this can look like. But the, I mean, if you show up, it's kind of like people say with the contractors: if you show up and you're on time and you do what you're told, you know, you're better than 90% of the contractors out there. And it's kind of the same thing with this, with this ministry. You show up when you say you're going to show up and you do what you say you're going to do and, uh, and people respond and they really, really, um, they, they will trust you. It's just, it's awesome. So, yeah. Thank you, Sam. I mean, you're Sam, you're Luke. Got that mixed up. Boy, I'd like to just switch names. Yeah. And, uh, Luke had told me that one of the ways they got started was just get going out there and handing out popsicles and, just do it, you know, then they started playing ball with the kids, and so it just kind of, just kind of uh, snowballed, but um, uh, it really is about consistency, and that's the same thing in our relationships with people. You realize you have that neighbor or that coworker that just really doesn't like you or is really turned, you know, closed off? I'm telling you, every day you smile, every day you wave, every day you say hi, even if they don't respond back to you, it It wears people down. The only reason people put the walls up there is because of rejection or the fear of rejection. And if we'll love, perfect love drives out fear. And if Jesus has done that in our life, we can be that to other people and let his light shine. And so I I like Luke's story because that sounded a lot like blessing the hell out of a city. Dark clouds leaving and love filling up the city and people coming to Jesus and people opening their heart. So so we're going to reach two and three. You know, we're going to all, every one of us, Say, Lord, who? Who? Not like, oh, I, I, I don't know anyone. Not like if. No, who, Lord? Who? Give me two and three. Give me two or three people, all right? Even if you just start with one, but give me two or three who don't know you. I'm going to pray for them by name. Oh, but I'm so scared. You can pray by name. I don't know what to do. Pray by name. And then you just wave, say hi, right? And just get out of t- outside of your comfort zone. going to reach those people in our sphere of influence. And just be like how Jesse's talking about. And we're going we're gonna to be as life who's going to move out and reach into our communities. It could, be, it could be life groups, like I said, helping with the Adopt-A-Block, helping with a, the food ministry, which is on Monday nights. Uh, both of those ministries are going to need laborers. You don't even have to be the person who talks to people. You can just go wash a car and smile. That's actually going to be the rule. Smile. That's it. Like, that's the rule. Like, if you're not, if you're not an outgoing person, you just... And wash the car, okay? Just smile and wash. But um, so we're going to need help with that. But uh, every one of us can give to those ministries, you know, uh, above our tithe. Every one of us can pray. Every one of us can, can go. Uh, I know, like my life group, we've done a couple of barbecues in the last couple, uh, or last year we've done two barbecues and just reached out to our neighbors and just try to build that relationship and stuff. So uh, we'll probably share more stories about that. And then, uh, so when life groups are reaching out, we're going to start this Adopt-A-Block and um, basically those outreaches, that Adopt-A-Block and that Life Group stuff, we're launching that in early October. We're actually having an outreach week, which is going to be our outreach launch week. Just like in early September, we're going to launch all our Life Groups on a Life Group launch day in early September. So those dates are in your program. And we'll let you know about this, and we'll invite you to be a part of this. And the great thing about an Adopt-A-Block is if you're a dude who's just like, I could fix a dryer, great. And that's what we're going to ask you to do. So you let us know what your skills and your passions are. I just want to bake cookies. Cool. Then we'll just go get 
you do the cookies, you do the washer and dryer. We'll have Sam do the knocking on the doors and meeting the Joes, and we're good to go, right? No, so, but the key is that we're going to keep loving, loving consistently. We're going to do for one neighborhood what we wish we could do for every neighborhood, and we're just going to plant ourselves there and be a blessing. Just as we've been blessed, we're going we're gonna to bless, all right? And so God has put you in a workplace. God has put you in a, in a family. And God has put you in a neighborhood, and you are salt and light. You are the hope of those people. If you just smile and wave and walk across the street and get to know them and start a conversation, the Lord will use you mightily. Amen? So can we stand and respond to the Lord and just say, here I am, Lord, send me. Kirk, come on, lead us in that. Here am I, send me. Let's just respond to the Lord and however you feel led. All right.